the first three years are going to be hard, no doubt, um, when you when you enter the profession. But also be kind of upfront and clear with them that as you move, because it, it's most likely going to happen. Most I, I would assume that most teachers do experience a, a move during their career. Um, but when you take that second job or that third job, like like Becky was saying, that it's it's going to be difficult. Either just as difficult as the first three years, or more difficult. Welcome to Al Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. The Al Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders, Marshall Baker, Mike Ritalik, and Brian Myers. Becky Haddad and Brent Milligan, welcome to Al Pellets. Thanks. We are Thanks. super excited to be here. Yeah, good to be here. Well, we are glad to have the chance to talk with you guys today. So uh, let's learn a little, a little bit more about who you guys are. Maybe Becky, tell us about yourselves and then Brett, you can follow up. All right. So I'm Becky Haddad. I'm an instructor at Oregon State University. I've been here for three years, just completed my PhD in May. Um, and a lot of my research work revolves around teacher mobility. And it's a great time of year to be talking about teachers moving around. And I'm Brett Milliken. I'm a first year PhD student at Oregon State. I haven't established my research yet. Still working on that. So good to be here. You haven't? What you said a first year? I mean, yeah, you better I know, step right? it up, man. I know, right? <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. We're all about helping you with your anxiety. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Can I put out there for just a second? Becky is also one of the founders of this group that I know a lot of ag teachers are in on Facebook and it's one of my favorite groups to follow every day um, because it reminds me when to say no to things. So Becky, and I'm going to get the name wrong. I know it's bombs, but what is the official name of it? The official name is bombs-naae um, and bomb stands for boss of moms boundaries. Um, and it's just a really cool group of ag teacher moms who um, are accountability partners it's cool to have 200 accountability partners um every day who kind of just help you remember where how to how to enforce your boundaries and how to reclaim your boundaries it's awesome i and so i wanted to put that out there i know it's aside from what we're talking about today but i don't even know if these guys knew about that <laughs> yeah what are we talking about today what'd you say what are we talking about today <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, with that. So yeah, we talked about we actually talked about that a little bit uh, previously, I think, which is a great work you've been doing. So what what give us kind of a summary of what today's topic is going to be, Becky or Brett, whoever wants to summarize it for us. Mm, throw Brett right under the bus. First year PhD student, he can <laughs> summarize research. Yeah, thrown under the bus to do it last Thursday. <laughs> Yeah, why not? Uh, so this uh, we're talking about teacher mobility and um, what it kind of looks like. So. I don't know, I think back to my my time as an ag teacher in the classroom and you always hear about mobility and teachers moving and it always seems to be, you know, like this time of year teachers are moving around and switching positions in schools and programs and we don't really know what that's, you know, what that looks like, what that is for, the, what that looks like for the teachers that are moving around um, and kind of the impact that that has on programs and on the individuals that are moving. And so this, so what we've, we've kind of looked at is, is, is what that looks like and what the implications of, of teacher mobility is for SBAE. 
So are these implications for the teachers or implications for the students and the programs? This, this looked more at, for, at the, uh, the teachers themselves. And we didn't dive too deep into specific um, specifics of, of the implications as far as how it impacts different aspects of their career and their life. Um, but we did focus more on, on the teachers themselves, but also some implications on what to do with programs and, and how to address teacher mobility within the programs and schools. So was this work done uh, pre-COVID-19? Um, and I'm anxious to for you to talk a little bit about uh, what you learned, but also maybe the implications of uh, the, the COVID situation that we find ourselves in. Great minds, Mike. I was thinking the same thing. I wondered if there would be any shift now as far as mobility goes. And it'll be interesting to see our data sets, a hundred year data set from one state. And so one thing that we know about mobile teachers is that they're really hard to track. It requires somebody who's going to say, here, here's where people are and we're going to continue, we're going to commit to kind of keeping these records. Um, and so what our study looked at was kind of what are what are the historical trends and how how churny is is the teaching profession because i think we often it often feels really churny you know we feel mobility in our in our communities we feel it when our teachers leave and move around and, and, and you know kids and parents and communities feel that with how embedded ag teachers are in their communities and programs um but it was i mean ag teachers are actually probably less churny than <laughs> than the national average and some of what we didn't know going into this was less experienced teachers are more mobile and we have more less experienced teachers in ag ed so how do we how does that affect mobility there are some of those pieces that we just we didn't know from even just a what's happening with mobility and so this was just kind of a place to start um and so historically we'd have to kind of pull back from this this data set to kind of update and see kind of where just looking even longitudinally at those individual trends for you know what's happening even even this year which we'd probably be able to do for this state they're pretty solid with their records <laughs> well i think <clears throat> i keep thinking you know it seems like i'm curious for you guys to push against this assertion with your data um it seems to me like when a FFA chapter ag education program gets established, like at some point, somebody wins a national champion or, or a championship or um, one ag teacher does just a bang up job and they win a bunch of things. It's like an FFA program or an ag education program has to get to this place where they're now like one of the desired places. And it's kind of like college football, you know, it's like, an early entry coach goes to this chapter that they know is not their end game because it's not one of those big time programs. And then they work their way toward their hometown or their big time program. So then it seems like if you're one of those, um, like a small football program trying to make it, or if you're a small ag education program and you want to establish yourself where you don't have turnover constantly because people are trying to move to the next more established program, it seems like it would be really challenging. I've seen that with some of these smaller programs. I'm curious if your data supported that football type analogy. <laughs> this data didn't, and that's not to say it doesn't happen. And I think one of the things, you know, this, this is numbers and a lot of, you know, what we know about context and in individual schools and even replaceability is, 
is kind of beyond what these numbers are able to tell us. From these numbers and in this state, um, there were, what did we have? 6% of the schools accounted for a quarter of the migrations. So that's a migration every five and a half years. So with that, and it was kind of interesting, we had kind of this list of schools that made up that 6% and sent that out to a couple people and said, hey, what can you, what can you tell us? So is there, is there some other context we need to know? Um, and it was interesting because, you know, it's a historical data set. So people who we're sending it to now say, well, no, there's nothing about this school now. There's, there's nothing to really tell us, but they may have had, you know, a cluster of migrations in the 70s and, you know, there's maybe not somebody who can outline what was going on with that program. And so, you know, what the numbers tell us is one thing, but what is actually happening in that context, we can't always get at with, with just the frequencies. Did you have Can you see those numbers one more time? Because I don't, I know I didn't catch it the first time and it's kind of the magnitude of that. Yeah, so um, migrators made up about 30% of our initial data set. So of all 16,000 data points, migrators were 30% of those. Um, and this study looked just at kind of how are people, what are people doing once they've moved schools once. So then with that, 6% of the schools in that chunk for schools that had a teacher migrate, 6% of those schools accounted for 25% of the migrations in the total data set. Wow. So that kind of seems like it might, um, you know, not take a nod to uh, rural brain drain research where there are some places that, because I, I know in Arkansas, believe it or not, we have places that are not rural. And those that are really, really rural, we struggle with, the, there are a small handful of them that we struggle to get teachers to go there. Um, and they do have a lot of turnover because they end up being kind of like Marshall was saying, those places where someone goes when they need a job and then when they, they spend their time there waiting to get the job that they want. Um, so, I don't know. I'm surprised. Or did you did you look at all at like their um, uh, what's it called their zip code to see if they were rural, urban, or suburban places? We had regions and we didn't. We probably can go. We can go back in. There are so many questions. It's fun to talk to people about this. What about rural? What about There are all these different things that it was. It was a lot to get the data just to migrators. <laughs> Yeah, so where we started, um, but there definitely are more questions. But I think to your point, Kate, and I'll kick this back to Brett in just a second. One of the things that we see then is that it's the the less time somebody's been at a school, the more likely they were to move again. And so, within one year of a school, if they, you know, if they were there a year, that was after that year was the next most likely time they were going to move. And within three years, that kind of leveled off. And we see that with our, you know, we see that with our early career teachers coming in. We see that in mobility that those first three years are just incredibly difficult. Um, and I think when we talk about kind of that, you know, moving up or moving to moving closer to home, recognizing just how hard those first three years are, not just when you enter the profession, but when you've started a new school, that's, it's, it's a big challenge we need to be, we need to be thinking about. <laughs> yeah, and I'd say to the 
to the the point about you know Arkansas and the teachers not going rural I came from a state where they didn't want to be urban they didn't want to be suburban they didn't want to be in the city and so we had an excellent you know time filling positions that were outside of of the main you know city area um, but we had a lot of turnover in those those programs that were the non-traditional urban suburban programs so what what state was that Brett so I, I'm from Utah originally okay. Um, I will say as a caveat, we also don't have urban. So most of our places are rural, but I'm talking real rural. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I really think this is an interesting addition to the conversation. We've been talking about, you know, the teach ag campaign and teacher turnover and all these things for a long time, but I think this is a unique kind of a way to do this. So, how do you guys see the work that you did? How should it be used by state leaders and other folks to help guide our conversation around this idea of, of working with teachers? So kind of what, what's the next steps for, for all of us out there working every day with folks? I, I think going into it, I think working with those, those teacher candidates, letting them know that, you know, there's this, you know, after the, the first three years are going to be hard, no doubt. Um, when you, when you enter the profession, but also be kind of upfront and clear with them that as you move, cause it, it's most likely going to happen. Most, I, I would assume that most teachers do experience a, a move during their career. Um, but when you take that second job or that third job, like, like Becky was saying that it's, it's going to be difficult, either just as difficult as the first three years or more difficult. Um, as I mean, those first three years, you're, you're establishing yourself in a program, but you're also very, um, you're just trying to figure out your identity as a teacher. But once you move programs, you, you kind of know who you are um, and you've got to fit yourself into, to this already established community where you have to figure out the nuances and the relationships and make them fit with who you are. And so, and that, that becomes very challenging to try and mesh yourself with a community that you haven't been a part of. And so being upfront and realistic with these, these teacher candidates when they're going out that if you move schools, if you, if you do migrate, that there, there are going to be additional challenges or that it, it is something to consider and think about. And, and I, and I think too, being having, having administration or state leaders, or teacher educators aware of, of this mobility of these, these challenges that are, that the teachers will face as they move that the additional support is needed. Um, you just can't throw a teacher into a new program and say, here, go have fun. Here's the keys. Um, but providing that extra support, whether it's through professional de development or, you know, however that looks, um, but to provide that support to help them navigate these new communities and these, these new experiences that they're going to have in a new program. Yeah, I think that's so, so important right there. You know, I, I can remember talking to teachers who taught, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years in a program and then moved to a new school and they come back to me and they're like, Brian, this is like, a, I'm like a first year teacher again. And, and they didn't realize it because they're like, they were solid. They were veterans. They had it figured out. And for whatever reason, they, they moved to a different program and trying to have that a little bit of that first year all over again is something that... Uh, it's good to, rem to remind ourselves we have to give ourselves grace because we're going to be going through that. It, it is a new job again and mm -hmm. having to deal with those things. I think being really conscientious of our career advice, I think sometimes we hear take the first job, choose the second. But I mean, Marshall, you've got boxes in the background. Brett's moved in the last year. You know, moving is kind of traumatic. Like it's, it's hard. <laughs> Brett and I were talking the other day just even about how our kids talk about 
the moves that we've made or like leading up to the moves. My daughter had a suitcase packed a week ago because she thought we were going to be leaving without her or be leaving her stuff. Um, <laughs> so think like really being conscientious too that that move isn't necessarily going to make everything better. Um, and being conscientious about what, what are those reflective conversations we need to be having about, you know, what are the challenges that are really driving the move so it's not just a geography, it will fix it. So what do you, one of the questions that kind of comes to mind is I think if we think about the profession of teaching in the first place, there, there is some migration, there's some attrition, uh, those types of things. So what do we share with ag teachers about that? You know, it, is it, is it natural? Is it part of the process and is it okay? Or, you know, what's, how should we be feeling and how should we be supporting uh, people that go through that process? Brett, you want to take that one or do you want to? I was going to say, you can go ahead and take that one if you want it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would generally advocate that it's, it's part of the process and it's part of the career. I think the data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that. I think our data from the broader education profession says that. I think when we think about migration on a professional level rather than thinking about it at the school level, we, we're not losing these teachers who change schools. They're not just going away like they're they're still teaching they're still teaching ag like they filled a vacant position 30 percent of our vacant ag teacher positions each year are filled by a mobile teacher like if we, we need to count them as staying um i think part of what our study also kind of gets at or part of the framework for our study is recognizing that teachers don't really have another way to better their position in their school you get hired out of school you're on a teaching contract once you're on that on that track there's not really a negotiating and and you know at your annual review you're not sitting down negotiating your raise and your bonus and so a lot of the means that people have in the private sector to better their their position and within their career aren't really available to teachers and so to better your position you you need to be able to have some flexibility and need to be able to move and need to be able to be validated in in recognizing that there are there might be other options out there for you yeah, I might I, also I, just throw in there that, you know, we focused a lot on the teachers. We focused a lot on um, the teacher's decision to move and the teacher's, you know, thought process. But I would be very interested in your data as an administrator, you know, to figure out like in what quartile does my program fall in terms of mobility or migration. So if I were one of the top, you know, 10% of the programs that have the most migration, you know, part of it is teachers moving and teacher factors, but I think it's also schools and communities. It's a good reflective piece. If you could talk to, you know, the support groups or the stakeholders or the board about asking the questions might even be a good follow-up study with those top most migrated folks. Like, is it the facilities? Is it the lack of support? Is it the, over exaggerated expectations is it a, a the classroom isn't nice is it hours or number of kids so you know it's also a good piece of research for schools to think about are we creating a conducive environment for stability of our program and i think that's a really i think important implication of are you setting the stage for an ag teacher to do well and as you often talk about i just learned with your Facebook page and presence, are you creating a 
safe and respectful place for someone to work and have a family and to be committed and have a life. And so I think that's, if I were an administrator, I'd want to see the numbers. <laughs> we just had a podcast recently. I say recently, we recorded it yesterday, so I don't know when it's going to come out, but we talked with some researchers about um, teachers' likelihood to leave um, if they, based on their connections. And so they were saying that, and guys, help me remember these connections with your community, your teachers in your school. There was a third. And it ag wasn't teachers. other ag teachers. Well, there's four. Ag teachers were one of them. It was the, the first one was connection with the teachers in your school. Second was connection with other ag teachers. Third was connections in the community. And I cannot remember the fourth one. Curriculum. The fourth one was curriculum. Oh, right, right. Connections with the curriculum. So it'd be interesting to see if those would play in. I also was curious, Marshall, about some of those, like, does a new administration come like a year before a migration? You know, like, what's the frequency of that? Well, I think it was just, I, I'm still just fascinated and hung up on that earlier numbers you shared, Becky, about that, there, you know, there's just a, a small number of schools that accounted for so much of those migrations. So kind of building on what Kate and Marshall are about to saying is like, it would be fascinating to me to see what's going on in those programs. And maybe you can't blame the school. Maybe there's something else happening there. They could just be communities people don't want to live in. Right. Well, and I think too, being careful, being conscientious of our language, like just because it's, there's, there's a lot of mobility. We also don't know from our, from our data set, we're not really able to tease out individual context factors. So some of that mobility also may have been growth. It right. might've been new program and teachers coming to new programs. And so being conscientious, like it's, it's not the teacher's fault. It's not the school's fault, but recognizing there are probably ways that we can all do a little bit better to accommodate these teachers. And first just being aware of where, where and how people are moving helps us do that. Well, I think it's important to think about too with the, the change in context. I, I say this a lot, sometimes it gets me in trouble is the, the, the days of the 30 year ag teacher are probably over, you know, and, and people are going to be coming and going more frequently not saying every two to three years, but maybe, you know, five to seven years, maybe, you know, and how do we help people come in and out of the profession better? And, and I think you make a very good point there, Becky, is look at the numbers, be informed by the numbers, but don't make the numbers more than what they are, because there's a lot of other things that are happening there and use it as a, as a way to inform what's, what's happening. So appreciate that. One of the, one of the things that Becky alluded to that's always been a question mark in my mind is uh, particularly what the teaching profession is, how do we how do we define or organize a career ladder that teachers can see themselves with some upward mobility and and moving to various pieces and i know becky was kind of hinting at that before but i've, I've struggled with that in my own mind and for some teachers it may not be important but i think for a lot of teachers you know you achieve at certain levels and then you want to okay what's that next step that i can strive for and sometimes unless you can do that kind of internally for yourself there's there's not a real natural uh, career ladder for for some teachers right it ends up being administration yeah. which isn't necessarily the same skill set just because you're a good teacher doesn't mean you'd be a good administrator that it i agree i don't know if that's the if that should be the hierarchy and at that point you leave the classroom you're, right. you're no longer you're no longer there yeah 
Well, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Becky, Brett, thank you guys so much for being with us. I, I know everyone's going to really enjoy interacting with all the resources on your work that we're going to be sharing with them. Uh, check these two folks out, y'all. Uh, they're doing phenomenal work there at Oregon State and, and watch wherever they go, wherever they might be mobile, you know, to, to go to go from there and migrate uh, and the work that they're doing. But it is it is phenomenal stuff. And we really do appreciate you spending time with us today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having Thank us. Thank you. We appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Socialize with us by following Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can join the conversation by adding your thoughts in the comments and sharing the podcast with others. So for Kate, Marshall, and Mike, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thank you and we'll look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.